Good morning. God has given us a beautiful day to come together and worship Him. And we are thankful that we can be uh, in this place as one body of believers. We're thankful for this special day of resurrection when our minds go back to that empty tomb and the victory that our Lord Jesus had over death, giving us hope of resurrection someday and life eternal in God's presence. No matter who you are, we're glad that you're here. And uh, it's, if you're a visitor, uh, we're honored that you've joined us and we hope you'll give us uh, at least a couple moments out in the lobby afterward to greet you and get to know you and we hope you'll join us again. As we get started today, I want to share a story with you, and I've shared it before. It's been a few years, but I think it's going to be a good way for us to get into what we're talking about today. And if you were here that morning, I bet you remember it's a pretty memorable tale. When I was a kid, I lived, uh, excuse me, my grandparents lived in an old house on Germantown Road, uh, a busy thoroughfare in Eastridge, Tennessee, right outside of Chattanooga. And they had some next-door neighbors, a black family. The parents' names were Judy and Otis. And I would see them often when we would go over to visit uh, my Grammy and Papa at their place. And uh, one time, I went over there with my mom, and we walked into the den of my grandparents' house. And my Grammy was there uh, visiting with Judy. A lot of times, Judy would come over, and they'd visit. They had, had a close relationship as neighbors. And my mom said she wanted to make introduction there, so she said, Joseph, you remember Judy, right? And I said, yes, Judy, I remember you. We don't really like black people, but we do like you. And if you are cringing right now, just imagine how my mom felt. Uh, she wanted the earth to open up and swallow her whole in that moment, immediately began apologizing. I don't know why, Joseph. I don't remember how old I was, by the way. I don't know why he just said this. We don't teach him that at home. I don't know where this came from. And Judy said, it's okay. I don't really like white people either. So she took it in stride, and, it, and all was well. Um... Uh, but my parents to this day, and, and myself too, I, we can't figure out why I would have said that. I mean, I said all sorts of embarrassing things that made my parents hide their face, but that took the cake. That was tops. Where did that come from? As I think back about that story, one of the things that I think now is that if we really are honest, with ourselves, we'll admit that we have some built-in biases with regard to race. And it's difficult for us to talk about this topic that, that we're discussing this morning, race. It's a difficult subject to broach. It makes us feel very uncomfortable. And if I'm being honest with you, as I launch out in this sermon, I'm a bit uncomfortable and I was uncomfortable sharing that story, even more embarrassed now than when I shared it from this pulpit four years ago. But if we are being honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we all struggle with some biases in regard to race. And many Americans these days 
believe that race relations in our country are not improving. They're not getting better as we think that they ought to. But instead, they're deteriorating. In a Gallup poll taken just last year in 2017, 42% of Americans surveyed said they worry a great deal about the nation's race relations. That's close to half, and it's the highest percentage since Gallup started asking that question 17 years ago. What is going to fix this problem? We, we have a problem inside of us and outside of us in our country, and you only have to, to flip on the evening news to know that, that uh, race relations in our country are under duress. What is going to fix this? You've got all kinds of solutions and policies proposed in order to help us heal as a nation uh, from racial uh, uh, divides in the past. What is the solution to this problem? Well, as people of faith, as Christians, our answer, in short, is the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word. Amen? It's the power of God's Word that's going to fix this problem. Christians are not primarily concerned with policy, even though there may be some policies that can help us heal racially as a nation. We know that there is great power in the Scriptures and in God and in the Gospel. And if we put our faith just in a policy or two, that is like slapping a band-aid on a deep wound. It's not going to do the trick in the long run. And we know as, as God's people, as people who love the Lord and His Son Jesus Christ and have great respect for His Word, that the changing of hearts and minds by the Gospel, that is what's going to fix this problem at its root. That is going to provide, to provide the salve that will begin to heal this deep wound. So we as Christians are not about saying, yes, this right-leaning policy or yes, this left-leaning policy is going to fix it. We are saying at the root primarily, this is a problem of the lack of God's Word. And God's Word hasn't taken root in the heart's of our people. This is the source of the healing. And by the way, this whole topic, race relations, has been, I think, falsely judged as a quote-unquote liberal issue or progressive issue. This is a gospel issue. And we don't allow our political system to determine right from wrong. We allow that to come from God's Word. And so I don't care if it's a conservative issue or if it's a progressive issue, if it's a scripture issue, if it's a gospel issue, that's, that's where we, what we need to be talking about. So we're not primarily concerned with what the politicians say. We're concerned with what the Bible says because we believe the Bible is, is what's going to give us the ultimate answer. And the Bible declares that all humans, all humans regardless of ethnicity, have descended from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are the father and mother of all humanity, and every nation has arisen from them. And what's more, Genesis reveals that because we have all come from the same ancestors, we all share in the exalted status of being made in the image of God. Black, white, Latino, Asian, we all bear His likeness. And so racial discrimination and racism 
must arise out of the curse of sin. If it wasn't present before the fall, it must have come about as a result of the fall. If it didn't come from above, it must have come from below. If it didn't come from God, it must have come from the devil. And our spiritual ancestors knew this. The early church knew this. We have clues in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that the early church was a diverse community. I'm thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized by Philip in Acts chapter 8 along that road. We talked about that. Keith Parker talked about that story last week. This gentleman from an ancient African kingdom south of Egypt was most certainly dark-complected. And in that moment, when he was baptized into Christ, he became every part my brother in Christ. Despite the fact that the color of his skin was a little different. And I think about the the church in Antioch. And the the writer of Acts breezes through this, but, but don't miss the list of leaders that occurs at the beginning of chapter 13, which includes Simeon, whose nickname actually means dark or black. So there in the early church, there were people of of all different ethnicities, different skin colors, serving part of one body. They recognized that the reconciling work of Jesus Christ broke down every wall of hostility, every barrier, and they were one. And you know what else? Our more recent spiritual ancestors recognized this as well. When the Restoration Movement swept through this county in the early 1800s, and a church of New Testament Christians sprang up just right down the highway in the Old Salem community, the believers embraced radical racial integration. To them, it was just a natural outworking of obeying the gospel. From its founding in 1834, the congregation was comprised of both white and black members. And mind you, this is in the South, before the Civil War, in a county that decided to secede from the Union before the rest of the state of Tennessee, before the Emancipation Proclamation declared all slaves to be free, this church family in the 1830s were seated together as one black and white worshiping their one Lord. And by Christmas of that year, records show that the church had grown to 34 white members and 12 black members. And in that same year, the Lipscomb family, the parents of David Lipscomb, who later became the editor of the Gospel Advocate and president, founder and president of Lipscomb University, they were charter members of the Old Salem Church of Christ right down the road. They moved up to Illinois for the express purpose of freeing their slaves. They knew, they knew that racial disunity was inconsistent with the Scriptures. And they were compelled to, To live like it. But at some point in the history of our movement and the church, we forgot this. And I'm not saying we all forgot it. But a lot of us did. Many of us did. We forgot that Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19, places people of all colors on a level playing field. That the Great Commission is the great equalizer. 
We forgot that when God brings Jews and Gentiles together, He by extension brings people of every ethnic background together into one church to be members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus equally. We forgot that in the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, no white or black or brown or Asian or Hispanic because we are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. Now, I say that we forgot because of the overt racism that is well documented in churches of Christ in the early 20th century. And I'm not saying that everybody was a racist. And I'm also not saying that it was only in churches of Christ. This kind of thing went on in various groups. But it was rampant. It was pervasive, especially in the South. I've read and heard stories from this era when white Christian women were criticized for shaking hands with black preachers after a worship service. When white Christian families were castigated for providing housing for traveling black preachers. Black preachers would hold meetings and revivals for mixed audiences. But many times there was a rope down the center of the room. Blacks on one side, whites on the other. And when the invitation was offered, a white preacher would stand up in the front in order to receive the whites, while the black preacher would receive the blacks. Why? Well, it was seen by some as inappropriate for a black preacher To baptize a white person. Because that would be seen as the white person submitting to the black person. And in some cases, if a black person came forward to be baptized, they weren't allowed to use the baptistry in the white Church of Christ building and had to go elsewhere. Some white preachers were even fired for asking a black preacher to say a dismissal prayer at a gospel meeting. God have mercy. And if you, I would imagine, as you, as you listen to me share those things in 2018, you are as disappointed and disgusted in that as, as I am. I would hope that you are. I think that you probably are. And the fact that we are shows that significant progress has been made. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we as a people, as a body of believers, as the church of Christ has moved beyond that. And a lot of strides have been made. And we've allowed the gospel to to work its way into our inner beings, and we're different now. And, And we look at people differently, and we operate differently in regard to race. And that's a good thing doesn't mean we don't still have a problem, though. I think we've got a problem. Even today. Even in 2018. I think, my opinion is, that our primary problem today is not this overt style of racism that we witness from generations past. Our problem today with regard to race is complacency. It's complacency. In a recent opinion piece, uh, Writer David Brooks observes, 
as a nation, we seem to have lost all enthusiasm for racial integration. And it seems to me that the church has as well. And I want to be clear, the church's number one goal is not racial integration. Rather, we believe that racial integration is a natural outworking of obeying the gospel. And when we obey the gospel, this is something that that just sort of organically ought to happen, that we come together to worship our one God with people who, who come from different backgrounds with us, who look different from us, who in some ways act different from us. We are brought together as one family. And I don't see that happening. And it hasn't happened for some time. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King famously said, That 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is what? The most segregated hour in this nation. And we might adjust that to 10 o'clock. Because that's when we meet for worship. But I think in 2018 that remains true. In many ways, we still have two brotherhoods in churches of Christ. With some exception. And of course, if if you're a white person going into a predominantly black church, you're you're not going to be you know, rejected. And if you're a black person coming into a predominantly white church of Christ, you're not going to be rejected. I'm not saying that's going on. But in our brotherhood, we still, to, to a large degree, have two different, two different fellowships. In our county, we do. We have predominantly white churches, predominantly black churches. One black Church of Christ preacher put it this way, and I agree with him. We don't know each other because we don't associate with with each other. And we don't associate with each other because we fear each other. It's nothing but a vicious cycle that comes from the pit of hell. If it didn't come from God, then we know where it came from. He's exactly right. And maybe you say... Well, I recognize that we are one church. But shouldn't people go to church where they feel comfortable? I mean, we all know that we're part of the same body, but isn't it okay that there's a Hispanic church here and an Asian church here and a mostly white church here and a black church here and people should go where they're comfortable even though we recognize that we're part of one body? I used to think the very same thing. I don't believe that anymore. And for a couple reasons, I don't believe that. First of all, we don't see in the New Testament Jews and Gentiles who were two different ethnic groups forming different churches. That option was never on the table. It was never even entertained. It was understood. It was assumed by Paul and the other early Christian leaders that Jews and Gentiles, if they found themselves in the same community, then they would be a part of the same church. Paul never proposes that because you're having problems getting getting along, because Jews look down on the Gentiles or because Gentiles resent the Jews, and boy, did they have problems. And the New Testament well documents all of the issues that they had and Uh, The fact that the Jews thought that the Gentiles, various Jews thought Gentiles should pass through certain rights and regulations of the law in order to become Christian, in order to receive salvation. Oh, they had problems getting along. And it was tough for the Jews 
when the gates of the kingdom swung wide open to welcome in outsiders and Gentiles. But the insistence of the New Testament writers is you make it work. Because that expresses the beauty of the church. You are now one body of believers. Let there be no separation. Let there be no hostility between you. Those walls have broken down. So join together as one. Never is there a hint that the Jews should form their own church over here and the Gentiles form their own church over here. And you just, you know, recognize that we're the same church, yeah, but we're going to go where we feel comfortable. It wasn't true then. I don't believe it's true now. The second reason I don't buy that is not a reason rooted in the past, but in the future. The second reason I don't buy that is because that is not what heaven is going to be like. Did you hear our text from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10? The vision of the apostle John that was given to him by the Lord Jesus of the future coming kingdom, the new heaven and earth. Listen to what he saw. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Everyone together, crying out with one loud voice. People from all tribes and peoples and languages. Now if you're sitting out there and the idea of standing shoulder to shoulder with a white person and a black person and a Hispanic person and an Asian person and every color imaginable, standing shoulder to shoulder with them as one, praising the Lord Jesus forevermore, that doesn't sound appealing to you, then you're probably not going to like heaven very much. Because that is the vision that John gives to us of heaven. Everyone has been brought together as one to praise the Lord Jesus with one voice. And if that's what it's like then, then that's what it ought to be like now. The church of today should be a living example of racial harmony modeled after the Bible's vision and heaven's reality. After the New Testament example of all the believers coming together in one body and John's vision of how it will be in the by and by. Believers of every nationality and ethnic group and language together as one. And it's not about being colorblind. The aim is not for us to no longer see cultural differences between us. The aim is for us to come together and despite cultural differences, we understand that we are alike in the way that matters most, our faith. And that one similarity makes us more alike than all the things that might make us different. We recognize that despite our differences, despite coming from every nation and tribe and people and tongue, we praise the Lord Jesus with one voice. And being a diverse people, we are brought together. Christ. Listen, if we don't embrace God's vision, we're not only not doing something we're supposed to do, we are greatly diminished. We miss out on the beauty of the Lord's church as it should be. 
So I present this sermon to you because I think it needs to be preached. I believe that I am compelled by the Scriptures to share this sermon. But I don't know what we do with this sermon. I mean, I have a few ideas. But I don't have some master plan in place for integrating the church of today. I just think it needs to be out there. It's something that we need to think about. I don't know what exactly what we do with it, but I know that change is necessary. I also know that change takes time. Meaningful change takes time. On our vacation this summer, on the way down to the coast, we spent the night, my family and I, in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. And we stayed at a hotel on Commerce Street. 150 years ago, on Commerce Street, enslaved Africans were held like animals in warehouses and marched up, marched up this same street in chains to Fountain Square to be sold like property. Fountain Square, that was the slave auction site in the city where people, people were bought, traded, sold, shipped to farms and plantations all over the South. Fountain Square. A hundred years later, it was on that same square in 1955 that a local seamstress in her early 40s boarded a bus on that same square and refused to give up her seat and forever changed history. Her name, of course, was Rosa Parks. Sometimes change takes a long time. And there are no quick fixes. But just because change takes time doesn't mean we should sit around and wait on it. So our prayer ought to be threefold, I think. First, Lord, remove from us our biases that do not come from you, but from the evil one, from the devil. Take these prejudices away from us. Remove them from us. Secondly, Lord, make us instruments of your peace as we sang earlier. Walls of pride and prejudice shall cease when we are your instruments of peace. And finally, Lord, help us exemplify the church as it should be. Help us to aim to be a more racially integrated body of believers, especially in this country, this great melting pot where we have people of all nationalities and ethnicities. Did you know that the state of Tennessee has the third uh, fastest growing Hispanic population in our country? If you're a white person and that bothers you, then you probably have some of these biases that we talked about earlier. That's not a problem. That is an opportunity. That means we, start, we need to start learning Spanish. That means we have a chance to reach all new kinds of people with the gospel. That means we have a chance for our churches to be more racially diverse as they ought to be, as they were in the New Testament, as heaven will be when Jesus returns. We have a great opportunity before us. And so we want to, and that may remind you of our series about restoring the early church. Lord, help us exemplify the church as it should be. That's where I'm going to leave it today. But today, as 
we do every time we get together. We want to sing a song of encouragement. This, is, this song is a reminder to you that the invitation to receive life and salvation from Jesus Christ is always open. And we want to afford you every opportunity that we can to come and to receive forgiveness of sins. The Spirit, which is the means of having a relationship with God, and abundant life and salvation, you have a chance to do that by coming to repent of sins, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to be baptized in this water for the forgiveness of those sins, and come up a new creature, ready to walk in newness of life. We've got people here today who have not submitted to Jesus Christ in baptism. What are you waiting on? Why keep Jesus waiting one minute longer? Why don't you come and... uh, be buried in that water just as Sam was yesterday. And we're so happy for you, Sam. And maybe this morning, a new brother or sister will be born anew into God's kingdom. Or if you're struggling in any way and you need the prayers of this church body, we would be happy to pray with and for you. If you need to be restored, uh, if you have uh, strayed, from the path that God has set out for you, this is a chance for you to come and rededicate your life to Christ. Why don't you do those things if you need to as we stand and sing?